Hayden Thompson here and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 79, where today I have guest Kristen Carreri, who is one of two co-founders of Seven Summit Snacks. Now based in Edmonton, Alberta and founded in 2019 by Kristen and Leanna Carreri, Seven Summit Snacks produces high quality chocolate that is specifically targeting the niche modern endurance athlete, outdoor goer and healthy indulger. With three flavours in two formats currently in the marketplace, Seven Summit Snacks is paying homage to the tallest mountain peaks on each of the seven continents and was also built in memory of the late R.H. Fisher's last mountaineering adventure on Mount Everest. Today's episode digs right into their startup story, current business model, the chocolate industry and everything in between. And I think that you'll find it's a really great episode for every founder out in this space who has a technical background as Kristen has her bachelor's in nutrition and food science and a wealth of experience creating and advising in a technical capacity for chocolate and candy bar manufacturing nutrition panel advice, providing consumer insights and creating quality specs. For 15% off your first order of their chocolate, be sure to head on down into the show notes and use the promo code CHOCO15. Now, before we get stuck into the episode, if any of you have any feedback or questions from today's conversation, I would love to hear from you. For everyone else out there, if this is your first episode of the podcast, welcome and thanks for taking the time to join us here. And please feel free to chime in to the conversation on LinkedIn and Instagram. Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, you too. Nice to put a face to the name because when I met you the other day at the CHFA, you're wearing a mask. And obviously, <laughs> yeah, with the whole world opening up right now, it's, mm. it's so nice to actually, you know, meet people face to face. So yeah, how are things on your end? How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, it's been hectic coming back from CHFA, but yeah. it was a good experience for us. Um, yep. I had walked the show before, yep. so kind of knew the beast or the zoo I was going into, mm. um, but presenting there and presenting our company is was a little bit different and it was great. So yeah, it is an awesome trade show. Like, um, you know, I had lots of discussions with owners and operators just like you. And yeah, the consensus was that it was a really successful trade show for a lot of people, not only for the opportunity to get out and get in front of people again for the first time in a long time, but yeah, there were actual like, you know, it was a trade show. There weren't any um, regular folk attending. So, you know, the conversations were very much geared towards, you know, um, business and closing deals and opportunities opening up, which is really exciting for everyone. Absolutely. And we definitely uh, felt some of that ourselves. Our goal going in was to try and find some support with yep. distribution and brokerage. And, yep. and we did that. So congratulations. We had some contracts now and yeah, yeah, taking another step for our business. That's huge. Yeah. Well, I'd love to definitely um, get stuck into that component of, you know, the conversation, um, the mechanics of your business, where the idea came from, where you are and where you're going and, you know, everything in between. There's a lot that we can chat about. But before we kick off, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up from Edmonton, um, born and raised and have found myself back here. So I did live out of country for uh, eight and a half years. Yeah, I saw Um, that. Yeah. 
And then before that, even I traveled for uh, four years with Disney on Ice. Yeah, so. that was, I wanted to ask you about that because <laughs> I remember as a kid, we, my grandparents and parents took us along to Disney on Ice in Melbourne. Yeah. And I thought, okay, that would have been a really cool part of your life. Like what a cool yeah. little segment and, you know, to obviously be traveling. So you're a figure skater. Is that sort of your background? Yeah, I, I grew up uh, figure skating and dancing and then yep. skated until I was uh, competitively until I was 18. And then I went to year of university, didn't know really what I was doing was burning out. And a call from an audition I had done a year before, uh, came through. And so I ran away and joined the circus, um, (laughs) and skated, uh, internationally. So who knows, maybe you saw me on ice. I was in Melbourne in 2003 with beauty and the beast. Rod Laver arena. Yeah. Rod Laver arena. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah, I have, I got to travel the world from that. And so prior to then I hadn't, my family was, um, we had gone a little bit to like Seattle or mostly mm-hmm. like, like Vancouver and Victoria. Yep. Um, but once I opened up that travel bug, I was oh, like, yeah. Oh, this is, I got to live somewhere else for a while. Yeah. First. How <laughs> so old were you? Um, I was 19 when I joined. So yeah. I, I did that for about four years and then realized what I wanted to study and, and came back and did my uh, undergrad degree. Yeah. Uh, after I had that realization. And that's probably the best time to do it because you learn so much about yourself. First time out of home, traveling, seeing that there's a world outside of Edmonton, you know, you get to learn who you are, why you are the way that you are based (laughs) on your upbringing. And, you know, I learned a lot about Mm -hmm. myself when I escaped Australia. When I say escape, that's ridiculous. (laughs) When I decided to (laughs) cut out of town and, and, you know, start my travel adventures. Um, But yeah, you do. And you know, what I learned most is that I was way more capable than I ever thought that I was you know like I, I had all of the tools it was just a matter of finding them and you know putting them to use and mm-hmm. so you know the value of traveling is really good and yeah. uh, I got a lot out of it so you know did you manage to you know explore further than you know Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne or were you sort of you know stuck <laughs> yeah. to the bounds of the the skating timeline we were pretty busy um I is so long ago now that I don't really remember we where else we saw I feel like there was like either some football or, and I mean, soccer, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, championships going on at the same time. So if yeah. we weren't skating, we were probably, uh, watching some championships oh, in, cool. a, in a sports pub, but, um, yeah, it was nice to be able to travel throughout like basically the whole, uh, coast of Australia and mm-hmm. in different cities there. And I did the same in Japan, Southeast Asia, Australia within that tour, we normally had some, some time off where we yeah. get to go to a beach, go explore, um, while the show was being shipped from town to town. So, yeah. Yeah. um, it was great. It was an excellent experience. Um, it allowed me to know that I wanted to like live in Europe for a while mm. and I was able to do that afterwards. And so, mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of set the next steps for me as a, as a person who's growing. That's awesome. And is that where you found chocolate? Yeah, that's where I found chocolate. So, um, yeah, I finished my tenure with uh, Disney on Ice, decided I wanted to study nutrition because mm-hmm. um, I liked the idea of how food in your body made made sense and made you well. And so studied, came back home to the to Edmonton, studied at the University of Alberta and got my degree in nutrition and food science. Um, yeah. Went in thinking I would be a dietitian, a sports dietitian, mm-hmm. but the more food science courses I took, I really, really liked them. I like, I'm kind of, I'm quite a practical person. So mm-hmm. as far as like hands-on stuff. Um, so I 
the aspect of being able to like put science behind making food was really appealing to me. And I'm so happy that I found that in high school, I had no idea that was a job. (laughs) So I try and advocate people who are like curious in science to be like, look, you can study food too. Yeah. Um, you can be a chocolate scientist like me. Incredible. I know. Like I was yeah. reading through your, um, through so, your resume on LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, you've gone deep on chocolate here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm really interested to dig in because you've worked for some huge brands. Like I was looking through your portfolio. You've worked at Cadbury, Mondelez. You know, is it the Pilatus group yeah, overseas Pilatus as well? Group. Yeah. And then you've also gone out on your own early and started, um, sister snacking solutions going out as yeah. a freelance consultant as well. So mm-hmm. you obviously like found chocolate and you know, you've definitely focused in on it. And now you've developed your own company as well, which is really exciting. But what is it specifically about chocolate that attracted you? Uh, yeah, the, it's part of the geography of where I chose to live in England. Um, mm-hmm. So I followed, uh, followed a boy to England and uh, who I had met through Disney on ice. And we, he lived in Birmingham and wanted, he wanted to go home and yep. his home was Birmingham and Birmingham is known for two industries in food. It's chocolate. That's the home of Cadbury or else brewing. Um, and so the whole Midlands has great brewing, mm. um, culture as well. Yep. And so it was going to be one of those two things. And I found myself into chocolate first, got my first job out of university with Cadbury. Yeah. And got hired by a fellow Canadian who was also living there. So I think that kind of helped. Helped for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, and that's just, that set the rest of the path in motion. Um, working for Cadbury, who was then acquired by Kraft, who then turned into Mondelez International, yep. uh, was an excellent, like formatory uh, experience in my life. And yeah. I, yeah, learning how corporate research and development worked uh, for <laughs> one of the biggest snacking companies in the entire world yeah. was just excellent, excellent training. Yeah. I can only imagine like, um, you know, the processes and protocols and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the boxes that you'd have to check to ensure that everything's above board and, you yeah. know, consistent in quality. And I can only imagine, you know, you know, what you would have had to have undertaken. I've got a little mm-hmm. bit of insight in terms of the coffee industry, like, you know, obviously we're working with an agricultural product and there's so much variation between, you know, varietals of coffee. Yeah. And I'm probably, you know, on the right path when I'd imagine that um, chocolate and cocoa has a lot of characteristics or similar traits, you know, based on where it's growing and the region and the varietal and so on. And, you know, that's one of the really cool things that I found about your product because you were generous enough to send some samples over <laughs> and you've obviously got some chocolate and there's, you know, some chocolate from Peru. Uh, mm-hmm. which is like, I'd imagine like a single origin and, you know, you're sort of going deep on sort of that side of things as well. So, you know, at what point did you sort of discover the variety of different uh, flavor profiles out there? Yeah, I think for sure. Uh, when you're working within a, comp- a company such as Mondelez, um, you have exposure to all sorts of different uh, learning experiences. And if you are someone who's process inclined, then learning how all the different machines work, um, what the basically manufacturing profiles, how they impact the product is one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I've always been more inclined to the ingredients side of things, yep. um, was very food curious anyway, growing up. And so as I, and was interested in wine before I uh, cool. um, got into yep. chocolate. And so yep. once I started, you have these learning courses within, um, within the organization and you take it as a lunch and learn and you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That's interesting. West African beans are like roasted in cocoa and really balanced in what were typical chocolate profiles like, but, um, Dominican Republic has a really whiny cranberry, mm-hmm. like different sort of origin to it versus yeah. 
Peru that we're using today. So yeah. Uh, versus like an Indonesian, which tends to be more smoky and and a little bit earthy. So that's funny because that's the same characteristics that you find in coffee from mm-hmm. Sumatra in Indonesia as well. Really yeah. earthy and kind of vegetal and yeah, yeah, really nice. But yeah. So yeah, it was. Um, I just absorb all that kind of knowledge and find it really fascinating. Um, and so I've taken that forward into my own company now. Um, yeah we probably tasted about a hundred different chocolates to find something that we landed on that we Mm -hmm. thought was uh, what we wanted from the brand and going with that also came like my, my years experience in working for these CPG companies um, usually in global teams gave me the consumer understanding already. So from like a market research perspective Mm -hmm. and knowing what 80% of the chocolate consumers already know and like Mm -hmm. I could shortlist um, origins and shortlist, probably even, um, processing companies to know and expect what I'm going to get from them. So, um, that helps streamline the process and, and helped us to kind of choose what we wanted. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, the business that you've started seven, seven summit snacks is, uh, you know, it's got a whole story behind it. So why don't you start by telling us where the idea came from? Yeah. So basically my sister, who's my co-founder and I were both uh, endurance athletes and I'm going to use athletes in like air quotes. <laughs> She's yep. a little more serious than me, but, um, it's how we spend our time and our energy is, uh, running and cycling for long periods of time. And that's Liana. Liana. Yeah, that's yep. right. And so she, um, while I was living abroad, I'd come home every like Christmas usually, and mm-hmm. over a good glass of wine, she'd be like spitballing ideas with me. And, um, one time I came home and she was like, so I'm just really tired of eating like gels and stuff on my bike. Like, Mm -hmm. can we, she's doing triathlon Mm -hmm. and I'm like, yeah, me too. I do endure, like I marathon run Mm -hmm. and like four gels and a gummy candy every two kilometers is like killing my mouth, killing my stomach. So she's like, can we eat chocolate? And I was like thinking about the properties of chocolate and the nutrition profile. And I was like, actually, yeah, chocolate has a really great nutrition profile Mm -hmm. for endurance sport. The combination of the the sugars and the fats helps. It's a fat, um, a slow release on, on the sugar. So you're Mm -hmm. getting this like drip feed of sugar within your system rather than a spiking crash that you're going to get from eating carbohydrate gels or pure, pure candies. And that's because of the balance of fat and carbohydrate. Exactly. Okay, cool. So it's not like we're using any fancy ingredients. Um, it's simple ones that are just in a more complex matrix. So she's like, okay, let's, let's think about this. And then, um, she's like, also like I go into the big grocery, like into the grocery store or the big sports stores. And I'm like reading the pack and I don't understand. And like, I just want something. She's a very visual person. Mm -hmm. I just want something that stands out to me and says, Hey, I'm chocolate. I'm good for you. You're an athlete. And Mm -hmm. so like literally something with a runner or a hiker on the package. So, um, for those of our, who are familiar with our, yeah, you nailed it. I've got some packaging (laughs) here and I'm like, that's exactly runner cyclist. (laughs) Like those were like, had to be on the package. So Definitely Leanna's idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that happened. And like, I just basically like had, we had the idea in my head and just mulled on it, went back home and then, um, just like, it was a kind of pipe dream. Mm-hmm. Thought about it every now and again. I was like, okay, how can we make this happen? I had like been carrying around a little mayonnaise sachet from when we were talking about it. That was in our like condiments. And I was like, okay, had this mayonnaise sachet with me. And I was like, 
okay, how can I make chocolate into this? <laughs> like a liquid, like, like a, a liquid, you know, a, a viscous or product. Like, yeah. yeah, like this has to be the product. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, and just like had that kind of visual cue every now and again. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward a couple months and I had gone to Nepal with my then partner, uh, Robin, Mm -hmm. and he was going to climb Mount Everest. So Mm -hmm. I went to base camp with him. I came home back to England at the time. He continued on his trek. And one night when it was near to his summit day, um, I woke up in the middle of the night and was like, it's called seven summit snacks. And I had this huge epiphany of like Mm -hmm. the brand name. I like opened my, my phone wrote down all this information. I'm like, it's going to have enough carbs for an hour of sport. Uh, it'll be meltable. It'll be in a, in a tear package. And like, I have this note on my phone still, I looked at the clock and was like, Oh my God, Robin's on the summit. Like knowing when his summit push was, I knew that this was going to be the time he was on the summit. And I was like, that's really cool. And then (laughs) company spawned and then, uh, go back to bed. And then I went back to bed and woke up two hours later and found out that's actually when he passed away. So he passed away on his descent from his summit push and, that's how the company was effectively born. I like oh, gave me this like gift, gift yeah. <laughs> of, I'm so like, sorry. of like making the company happen. So yeah. yeah, it was emotional. It was weird. Cause I was like, uh, okay, In I gotta shock. go start yeah. this company now. Like yeah. don't know what to do with my life, uh, door open. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it took me a couple of months to process. I was living in England, yeah. um, process and close everything that I yeah. had there, but the path was so clear that I had to come home and, and do this. And it was like, he gave me the gift of the brand name and, and, and all that. So, wow. Was it the exposure of being at such high altitude for a period of time that caused him to pass or? Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was just a little bit too much for him. Um, wow. and yeah, it's very exhausting. It's very, yeah. um, it was a stressful year on Everest as well. And so, um, yeah, it was just a little, a little too much. He, he died after achieving his dream. Yeah. Uh, so amazing for that, but unfortunately I didn't make it home. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. I can, can't even imagine the roller coaster that you would have, you know, been through over the last yeah. period of time. Like, yeah. Unbelievable. And you know, I did watch, um, 14 peaks with NIMS. Did you yeah. watch that? Yeah. Incredible. Yes. And obviously yeah. like the push up to the summit is you know, something that um, there are so many people that are trying to push up to the summit. And I was wondering when I was reading about the passing of Robin, I was wondering if it was because of the volume of people up on top of the hill was, Mm -hmm. you know, did that play a role in it or? Yeah. So he was there that year, but he um, had summited two days after that disaster. So we knew two people who were in that lineup and they, or three people and they uh, were successful in their attempt in coming back safely. Yeah. But, um, he was on a slightly different schedule and, right. um, and summited two days after that. Got you. Okay. Yeah. Out of control. And so, yeah, obviously from that tragedy, you know, an opportunity opened up as you suggested, yeah. and, you know, there's a lot of work that's gone into it since then. So what was sort of the next steps that you took to sort of turn this vision into a reality? Yeah. So, uh, came home and again, like part of coming home was like, I knew I had a grace period of time that I didn't need to be working. And so I was able to like mull through what was going to happen. The um, like, again, amazing back training I've had from working for Mondelez and Mm -hmm. for Godiva, which was Platis was that I have a strong foundation in uh, consumer science. So Mm -hmm. that's like doing some market research, focus groups, consumer testing. And 
basically put together some focus groups and had people tell us about our products. And so, um, yeah, chatted to people and were like, because we recognize that like trying to sell chocolate as a sports fuel is going to be a little bit controversial, like mm. people who do activity like chocolate, but the idea of eating chocolate in sport mm-hmm. might be odd. Um, mm. Although people do have a Snickers or a Mars bar. Yeah, uh, I was going to say a Snickers yeah. or a Mars bar, or they'll have their scroggin and there's usually some, you know, chocolate chips are in there, you know, for Absolutely. energy and so on. So yeah, yeah exactly. I, I have heard of it. So it's like, and there's lots of chocolate flavored stuff out there as well. Um, but that's using like a little bit of cocoa powder in, in a base recipe for an energy bar or a carb gel. So, and all that tastes pretty terrible. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, so I was like, no, whatever we're going to do is going to be made of chocolate. Like that's going to be the number one, um, ingredient. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we got to see if people are going to buy it. And so, um, we made a logo. I, I wrote some concepts, um, and we did a couple of focus groups. We did, I think one or two in Edmonton. We did mm-hmm. one in Calgary. We ended up doing one in Vancouver. And so what was the size like, of the focus group? Yeah. Like eight to 10 people. Yeah, a good um, yep. and yeah, people who were target demographics. So, mm-hmm. um, they're doing activity for like 90 minutes or more. Um, we weren't precious about them being, um, high, like, super elite athletes, um, knowing that elite athletes are like really, really dialed into what they want and they want it to be super scientific. So Mm. we want the everyday athlete, this product is for the everyday athlete. And so, yeah, we were got a mix of people to come in, tell us what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, and basically they vetted the idea for us. Mm. So we were like, okay, well, let's, let's move on. (laughs) Let's try to make this happen. And so, Um, I had done some prototyping in the meantime, done some recipe modeling. So again, one of the epiphanies I had was it had to have enough carbs for like about an hour of energy. Mm -hmm. And so looked again, like at the competitive set and saw, okay, carb gels are doing anywhere between 12 and 20 grams per, per serving. And the serving is on average between 25 and 40 grams. So we're right there in the middle, 15 or 16 grams of carbs for a 30 gram, um, -hmm. bar of chocolate. And, um, finding a chocolate that has that much sugar, but then is also palatable. (laughs) And like, again, taste is absolutely key to us. Um, I can go and find a high sugar chocolate, but it's going to be too sweet in perception. Um, I knew I had to model the recipe a little bit more. So we have coconut butter as well as honey in the recipe. Mm -hmm. And the honey gives it the extra carbohydrates. Mm. Uh, A lot of people were like, why not maple? And I'm like, maple has too high of a water content. So it doesn't really work with chocolate. Yeah, right. Honey does work. So to a certain extent, uh, certainly if you put more in, it doesn't, the bar doesn't work. So that's really interesting. I, um, when you sent over the samples, I I put a platter together and I handed around the office and the consensus was that it was really balanced. Like all three skews were really, really balanced. Mm-hmm. But the the thing that was the common thread between everybody's taste was the mouthfeel. Like mm-hmm. it was all so creamy and buttery and almost melted in your mouth. Yes. And you didn't have to chew on it much. Like it was just a really delicate yet, uh, you know what? It was delicate in mouthfeel and like really soft, but it was also satisfying like you you felt like you had eaten a a good volume of chocolate it was great Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that's the fats working in Mm. in perfect so like there is a lot of science that's actually like in the Mm. endurance bar our big classic bar is is clean label chocolate with super it's super tidy 
Um, but the endurance bar is different. It is yeah. crafted to give like the coconut butter is giving energy program. It's mm-hmm. giving meltability because mm-hmm. that was one thing Leanna wanted originally. She's like, I want it to be solid if I want it mm-hmm. or melted. Yeah. So to have this dual functionality comes down to some clever fat science. Mm-hmm. And then again, knowing what, knowing about fat chemistry, knowing what goes together and will stay together mm-hmm. uh, over a shelf life is important. And that's mm-hmm. gone into our bars. So that balance, the delicateness, the Mm -hmm. idea of it being able to like, if you snap a piece and hold it in your mouth, because you've been running for four hours already, you don't want to chew. It's going to melt. You can just pop a triangle in. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't feel as if you needed like some water to wash it down. Like it didn't coat your mouth. It was actually really unique. Like I'd never come across a chocolate like it. No. So, you know, Mm -hmm. based on all of the um, value propositions that you're talking about right now, you nailed it. Like Thank you knocked you it out of the park. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, it's like like the challenge that we're trying to do is explain that to people now. Mm-hmm. Like the product is clever. Sometimes I wonder if it's too clever for its own good, but mm-hmm. I feel like we've got potential with that. And and people who are getting it, like they get it. So yeah, yeah. Um, that's important to us. For sure. I think, you know, the taste test will say it all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, um, you know, sampling and um, tasting the product is critical in CPG. Have you managed yeah. to get out there and do you go out there and do um, go out into the grocery stores, wherever you're retailing these products mm-hmm. and sample with people? So, yeah, it was hard. We launched right at the very start of COVID. Yeah, I know, uh, January 2020. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, we <clears throat> had done our last focus group, um, February 2020. And mm-hmm. then we were meant to come back to Edmonton and do another one. And yeah. Uh, we were like, and then it was locked down and we were like, okay, well, and the idea was to start with sporting events and Mm -hmm. go to those and demo bars there, um, go knock on doors and and sell chocolate that way. Mm -hmm. Um, but that just wasn't, wasn't available. So again, going back to my research background, uh, Mm -hmm. I was like home use test. This Mm -hmm. is what we're going to do. We're going to mail out the bars to people to try. And so building on that market validation piece, um, I made like 150 bars of all three different or a whole bunch of different flavors and, yeah. and put a call out to volunteers. And we got a hundred people to come and try our bar or to sign up to try our bars. Wow. Um, I mailed them out to them. Uh, they had to do an online questionnaire or mail in a, one of their questionnaires. I sent a paper one out and then we got really in-depth product feedback. Mm-hmm. I was able to tweak the recipes based on their feedback. And we have cool. the bars we have today because of that. Um, that then was like the pre the prequel to, uh, our launch, which we did via a crowdfunding campaign. So, mm-hmm. uh, ATB booster. So the Alberta treasury branch in Alberta has a crowdfunding platform and we raised $11,000, which our goal was 10,000 yep. based on the back of that. So mm-hmm. that was like, okay, people, people want to buy That's this. really validating. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, that, was basically our pre-sales to yep. ensure that uh, we could do our first round of manufacturing. And, yep. and that's how we launched. So we launched virtually yep. um, rather than in person. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it started with mail outs. Mm-hmm. And then um, we're able to like, by the end of, that was in uh, September or the crowdfunding was in August. Our first bars were available uh, like October 1st, mm-hmm. 2020. And mm-hmm. then uh, we signed up 10 stores, uh, like running and cycling stores, uh, that were independents that were happy to give us a shot. So, um, the whole like support local movement was 
uh, very helpful to us. So because yeah. they were the local independent running stores within Edmonton and Calgary. Yeah. yeah. And uh and they took a chance on us and and they're still our our long standing customers. So that's awesome. They're obviously seeing some um velocity through, you know, yeah. of the product as well, which is validating as well. Like, mm-hmm. you know, seeing some consistent sales come through must be the best feeling. Yeah. Um now tell us a little about that crowdfunding campaign. So, you know, obviously you've got to invest in the campaign as well. So I can imagine you would have had to have done a little bit of brand development up front, some marketing, um, you know, getting all of your concepts together. So was that a bit of a process? Yeah, it was. Um, so again, like I have a basic understanding of how to do concept development, mm-hmm. but marketing, no, uh, web design no <laughs> like all of that social social media assets no so uh one of our co-founders and a friend of yours uh tom jackson he was he he saw some merit in what we were doing believes in the brand and and we employed him to uh to kind of get all that together for mm-hmm. us we put together a really great video for our crowdfunding campaign um anyone who asks me what, like what should you do to get ready for crowdfunding and like you need a good video, video. for sure yeah uh spend your money on it and yeah. we did i'm glad we did yeah um and yeah i think that really helped us also um employed a local graphic artist to do the pack designs for us again like launching into cbg and into a crowded space mm-hmm. I knew that we had to have a very professional looking package up front, um, couldn't show up with like hand wrapped stuff. Um, so we spent money on packaging. It's obvious as well. Yeah. The packaging and the branding development, it's really polished and it's obvious that you've been in the industry for a long time and, you know, you've studied the competitive (laughs) landscape. So yeah, you've Mm. knocked that out of the park too. Um, just for anyone listening and they're potentially thinking about a crowdfunding campaign, you just gave an insight that you think that a video is critical. Mm. What kind of spend should people expect to put a video together? Is it like a couple of thousand bucks or where can, what can they sort of budget for? Yeah. I'd say a couple of thousand is going to do a good job. I know there's a lot of people who will say you can do it for free on your iPhone. iPhone, Your iPhone's amazing. Yeah, That's fine. If you are already good at threading together, cinematography or like a visual storyline yeah. like we're terrible on camera <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, we definitely had a couple of like photo shoots that went really not efficiently at all because mm-hmm. we as founders were not were not great models or like not we just weren't great and so <laughs> having someone who has that creative like vision and knows yeah. how to story tell and yeah. spread it together yeah that's where the bang for the buck came um and so there are so many freelancers out there who yeah. can support you uh yeah. and then again like i feel like everyone knows a photographer or a videographer these days so yeah all in a favor from a friend and like give them a Give him, I'm sure they'll give you like mates rates. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I think Tom gave us some mates rates. That's cool. Yeah, Um, no, it definitely helps. Like it's got to be polished and, you know, they have to understand your vision very clearly. So I'm sure you probably sat down, you know, provided a bit of insight as to exactly what you were looking for and the emotive sort of um, feeling that you were trying to create in that video. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you also have to work with somebody that gets it. You know, so you're probably lucky that you found someone like Tom that just understands exactly what you're trying to achieve and the brand that you're trying to develop. So that's cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So you raised 11 grand. Um, Your goal was 10. You Mm -hmm. now had the uh, capacity and ability to put together your initial orders. And um, that would have been an exciting next step. So tell us about next step. So obviously, you know, you've hit the ground running. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of work to be done now, you know, to get to where you're going. So (laughs) what's your overall vision with the business? Like, where do you, where are you going to be in five years time? Like, what's on the horizon? 
five years time, I'd love to be like throughout REI. I think from yeah. my vision has always been in um, getting into the US. Yeah. The market is that much larger. Yeah. Um, they and more well developed, I'd say as well from a, mm-hmm. um, a sport perspective. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more competition, of course, as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, some kind of learnings I've had over the years from, again, working in CPG, corporate CPG is the Canadian consumer is very discerning and choosy as to what they put in their mouth from a health perspective. Mm-hmm. So Canadian consumer reads the labels and they already know, like for the most part, and, and that's who our target consumer is. Mm-hmm. They already know, uh, what these ingredients are doing for them for the most mm-hmm. part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you've got to like, you've got to hit the mark with them mm-hmm. and same from their taste perspective or else forget about it. They'll try you once and never again. Yeah. The U S consumer is a little bit more forgiving and the, uh, health conscious is a little, there's the, of course the like ultra health conscious who are mm-hmm. again, super clean label, not no additives whatsoever, yeah. making sure it's from the purest source, but you have a little bit of a wider population who gives more grace and mm-hmm. then who, is a little bit more forgiving and like, like, okay, you just told me it's healthy. I'll just take it. Like I get, I get it kind of thing. You don't need to convince them or the Canadian consumer. You have to convince and convince and convince again. Yeah. So I kind of had that epiphany a little while ago and was like, no, I I really have to like make sure that we get to the U S but at the same time, we're really trying to like develop our market in Western Canada because growing too fast. Yeah. You hear from all the, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the good sources that don't grow too fast. So, mm-hmm. um, really working on our messaging here. I, and I feel like if we can get that done and a good base model in Western Canada, then it should in theory fly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we've started out, um, and still only supply to independent, like basically independent sporting goods stores. Mm-hmm. So your local run cycle, hiking shop, climbing gyms, um, a couple of coffee shops mm-hmm. and some like traditional gyms as well. Yeah. Um, our goal from CHFA was to get listed with uh, distribution and mm-hmm. so that we could start to get into the smaller supermarkets. And so part of like on the back of our crowdfunding campaign, we did get placement in like a couple shop co-ops within mm-hmm. and blush lanes, which is owned, owned by spud in, okay. um, in Alberta and Calgary or Edmonton and Calgary. But because our product was brand new, it's higher priced chocolate mm. and a very competitive category. Mm-hmm. The sell through just wasn't very good. And so we're like, okay, to be in grocery, we need, we need brand awareness. And yeah. so over the last year, um, especially like from last summer net onwards, we've been really trying to work on that brand awareness throughout Western Canada. Mm. Um, so we did a road trip last October, um, and basically drove out to Victoria and back <laughs> and stopped in Revelstoke, Golden, <laughs> Kamloops, Kelowna. all the good places. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and found pockets of places that, that were again, got it and are mm-hmm. fueling and are stocking and are stocking our bars now. So, mm-hmm. Um, other things we've been trying to do is, uh, we worked again, we're, we're partnering with, um, trail running communities. So sponsoring trail running events, mm-hmm. giving our bars in the swag bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did that throughout the winter with the Nordic ski, uh, community within Alberta. Mm-hmm. And so people are getting it. They're like, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to see you. Our, our core demographic is like, okay, yeah, we, we think we know who you are now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And so I think we're about ready to get into these like nesters, nutters kind of um, smaller supermarkets. So we're working on that right now. And I'm hoping by the end of the year, we've doubled our sales through these channels. Awesome. So you've got distribution now, which is really exciting. And one thing that I guess, you know, is pretty critical and you mentioned it before is price point, you know, at the till. So, you know, being a high price product, being so niche with exactly who you're uh, targeting, what do you think, you know, how's the tolerance to price right now? Like, are you sort of still working on where you're going to land and you've got margins to play with or sort of how's all of that washing out? Yes. This is all the experiment for the next Mm. six months. Um, We, it's a chicken and an egg situation with distribution in that um, you need to scale so that you can get the price breaks on the ingredients and the packaging. And, but you also need to like, make sure you have, (laughs) you're going to sell your chocolate bar. So I I definitely like was over about a year ago, I was over ambitious and how much we we might sell and, and produced too much chocolate, um, which just didn't move as quickly as we thought it would. Um, so I am conscious to like what that looks like, but at the same time, um, yeah, I, I need personally, we need that scale. And so I have like, our price is still going to be high ish, Mm -hmm. but it is line priced with something else. So we shouldn't ever go into a situation where, um, we are the most expensive product on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made sure to keep that into, into effect when yeah. I'm pitching to distributors and to, um, into stores, but then it's like, what can I offer from a, a sale perspective is mm-hmm. literally what I'm working on right now. And so yeah. if we don't make so much money this quarter, but we can crawl it back next. And then I see, that I'll be able to place a bigger order and mm-hmm. I can knock a bunch off on my packaging, then yep. it should sort itself out. So yep. again, since CHFA, I've been doing uh, a lot of price modeling and mm-hmm. that's also been coming from feedback where some distributors have just said, no, we can't like your, your price is too high and, and yep. everything like that, which is fine. Like we, it's what I thought, but mm-hmm. I didn't think it was too high, but I knew it was risky. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so we're just literally working on all that right now. So there'll be some risk taking on our end for sure. Um, and then it's like, again, if I'm giving away some margin to really try and get into more like distribution through in Western Canada, mm-hmm. it just means I have less to play with from a marketing perspective. So, yeah, yeah. um, it's give and take and, and we're just working through all that right now. Yeah, I can imagine that would take time. Um, are you still producing it yourself? Like, are you creating every bar yourself or are you starting to build a bit of a team in the kitchen? Yeah, so we were very lucky to find a co-manufacturer in Calgary oh, uh, cool. right from the get-go. Yep. Um, so I didn't have any equipment costs up front other than Perfect. chocolate molds. Yeah, um, and was like found this gem of a place in Calgary. And so awesome. um, again, that was something I had noticed from uh, moving from Europe to Canada is that co-manufacturing is not well developed in the chocolate space. Um, and those that are co-manufacturing have huge first orders that you need to fulfill yep. and are very picky and, and very inflexible. Um, and I'm learning that through the company I consult for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found this gem of a place in Calgary who do, who does small orders. They put a lot of love and care into the product and mm. I've had they they seized one we, we we had one trouble together where we thought we could hold the chocolate from one production back to the next and it, it didn't work out because 
with the honey, it's really tricky. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it, they, they've been, they've been really great. So um, they have the capability to grow with us in scale as well. And uh, so we know we're going to be good to continue working with them for yep. a couple of years at least. And yep. then we'll see how much we grow and, and go from there. Damn, that's cool. You know, that whole business model of, you know, outsourcing production is, you know, really important. And I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs that are doing exactly that. Obviously, there are costs associated, but, you know, mm -hmm. there are benefits too. So you can just, you know, focus on brand development and marketing yeah. and selling. Do you enjoy getting out there and hustling and selling the product? No. <laughs> <laughs> This okay. is not one of my strengths. And then okay. this is not one anyone's strength in our team. Okay. And so that's, I was going to say, is that enter Jason? So what role does Jason play? Yeah. Jason's our, our GM. So he's yep. uh, our number one fan. Again, like we met when I came back from England and he liked the passion I had for the product and the brand. Yep. And he, again, with COVID and how lives have changed, he found he had some time to support us. Okay. Um, and yeah, he, we have, we all work in some capacity. So no one's doing this full time. Yeah. And, um, I had more of a, of a, a regular job and he had a little bit more free time. And so mm -hmm. he was looking after sales, uh, setting up the contracts for, uh, sponsorship events, yep. uh, recent reaching out to other organizations that we can do sponsorship with like drumming up the business. And, and it is marketing, mm -hmm. um, to an extent, it's just not the formal, um, social media ads yeah. and, and that kind of marketing. So, um, he was just making, making sure that our shipments are getting done. Like we're fulfilling orders ourselves mm -hmm. still. And, um, basically like having a hand in everything, making sure the company could run while I was working for another company in the meantime. So he's been a great help and an asset to the company. And, um, and yeah, and he's got, he's got great foundational training, great ideas as well. And I really welcome having someone who can, from a business perspective, give me that um, suggestion or, mm -hmm. or model on things because I don't have a business background either. And so mm -hmm. he at least is able to kind of give me perspective there and say, okay, well, if we think about doing it this way or that way, and then yep. um, it's been really beneficial. So, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a core group of advisors that you leverage? No, not really. We've been not very good at that. So we're winging it and we're doing it by ourselves. Yeah. Um, it's something I'm looking to change in the next year. Um, yeah. We're going to need to do some sort of formal investing in the next year. And cool. with that comes advisors, yeah. comes mentorship, comes network development. Yeah. And it's part of, um, I'm trying to get all that um, lined up and kind of what needs to happen, um, going forward. That's my kind of like my summer goal, I'd say, yeah. um, recognizing that there's lots of really supportive groups out there. Um, it's incredible. Yeah. The, yeah. the people that you can access just through LinkedIn alone, I'm always blown mm -hmm. away. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, we are, we did get some funding through Futurepreneur. Um, oh, cool. Yep, yep. Podcast, yeah. Yeah. Um, and with that, there comes usually a mentor, which we've not had, um, we haven't been really keeping in touch, but okay. um, they had just run a growth accelerator for us. And so uh, I took part in that. Yep. And um, also through that, we're like literally next week having speed coaching sessions Oh, great! Um, with three people, three different er expert areas 
areas of expert um, who will yeah guide us. So I wanted some support on social media marketing, on business development and sales. And I've been paired with some mentors for that. So I'm looking forward to doing that. And I'm also ready to put more time into that, those relationships, knowing that they're going to benefit me in the future and, um, and that they're going to be really strategic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, life's a balance at the best of times and, you know, with you carrying another role, like another job, and then you've got this on the side, how many hours a week are you spending on this? Yeah. Every, um, like in the evenings, like early in the mornings, like how are you hmm. making it work? What's the balance yeah, look like? Um, so I, on average, I was working, uh, 21 hours a week and then, uh, doing seven summits about like 25 hours a week. Yeah. And then now I've kind of dropped that a little bit. I'm probably doing 30 ish hours of seven summits and then, awesome. uh, some hours still consulting, um, yeah. for other companies. So yeah, yeah. Um, exercise is important to us. That's still, what I was so. going to say. Cause you're yeah. like, you're, I can imagine like, <laughs> you know, either time in the saddle on the bike or, at, you yeah. know, out on the road as well. You got to put the time in there. And I was wondering when you're going to fit it all in. Yeah. Yeah. We, I try and find an hour, uh, where I can more days than not. Yeah. And, um, but still like that has dropped off a little bit, mm. um, especially with, um, having weekend events now. So yeah. that's, what's been great. You were talking about sampling earlier yeah. that our strategy for the summer is, be at in-person events, yep. giving bars out to people and selling yep. them and talking about the product. So it'll be like where a Saturday used to be a two hour ride and a Sunday used to be a two hour run. It's like, okay, those might not happen. <laughs> that might happen yeah. once a month rather than every week. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, uh, it's trying to like keep, keep active day to day. Yeah. When you are training for your triathlons, how many hours a week were you spending out on the road? Yeah. So it's my sister does triathlon. Oh, I, right running yeah you're running um, okay yep <laughs> so, sorry and jason does triathlon as okay. well so yeah that can be they're usually doing hours. like two hours a day yeah. at least a day when it's yeah. peak season for them so yeah um at least and that could be again on a weekend a ride could it be like five hours so. a hell of a commitment isn't it yeah yeah it is. So. yeah yeah oh very good mm-hmm. um if you had the opportunity to go back a year and a half with the knowledge that you have now what business advice would you give yourself I'd say like find mentorship and value that earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So again, like I do a lot of like the webinars and uh, to gain some learning in areas that we uh, need support with, but find someone like have someone who is going to be in your court um, earlier on, I think is uh, would have been important. Um, just to bounce ideas off, you know, it's, it's critical and it's definitely a, a, a common thread throughout this podcast as well, that, you know, the, the, the groups that do have mentors or consultants or coaches around them 24 hmm. seven seem to be really successful because they yeah. can avoid the potholes in the road, you know? Yeah, I, for sure. I think that, um, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts just to see if I'm like, where I am on my journey. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I'm yeah. like, am I doing this right or not? And yeah, certainly the companies that are very successful have a lot of mentorship support. Mm. And it's usually because it's they're they're either like 10 years into their journey yeah. or they're like it's their second or third business. Yeah. Good call. So um I have to like give myself that perspective sometimes yeah. because I'm like, why am I not bigger? Why are we not making more money? And I'm yeah. like, well, it's yeah, this is business number one. Yeah, it's early days. <laughs> and, yeah. There are so and, many things yeah. that you've got to learn along the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you find yourself when you're listening to these podcasts comparing where you are 
you know, and uh, to the people. Yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? I know. It's such a fault in the human condition. Yeah, I know. So then I like, that's why I like to hear about like their origin stories. Yeah. yeah, and then yeah. you're like, oh, okay, yeah, Kodiak cakes. You took 10 years to get. What yeah, getting. I know. Okay, There's no such thing as an overnight success. It took a long success. time to develop now like Nike. So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Versus like other companies like Midday Squares. Oh, you're on company number three and four with heavy investment and lots yeah, of Yeah, just raised so $10 million. You get it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I've actually got Jake coming on to the podcast in a couple of weeks. I'm really excited mm-hmm. for that one. There's a lot to be learned from those guys, too. Mm-hmm. Now, if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you'd had your best year ever, what would you have accomplished? Yeah, I we'd be like more than twice in sales for sure. Double um, your sales, yeah. Yeah, double our sales and like have velocity through uh small supermarkets. Yeah. Um, I think we'd still probably we might just be entering into the US by then. Um, I'd think so, but uh, I think we want to stay focused within Western Canada for now mm-hmm. just to be able to get a grip on what we're doing and really start to generate some, um, some good income yeah. and then again, move outside of that realm. Um, mm-hmm. but I think Pacific Northwest is a good, a good anchor for us to start getting into. Yep. Did you happen to listen to the episode that I did with Melissa Mills from Spreadham kitchen? No, you, not yet. Okay. Go back and listen to that one. She's just mm-hmm. cracking into the States right now. And she just engaged in a really good program. That's basically okay. preparing her business for entry into the U S market. So yeah, you should definitely look into that. one. Perfect. That's why I love these podcasts. Yeah, they're handy, <laughs> aren't they? What other podcasts and do you listen to? Um, how I built this is okay. a great one. That's really so, common. Yeah. Yeah. The, I think that one is nice because it's, um, they're, such well-established businesses now yeah. and to hear yeah. their journeys growing yeah. up and it's like, yeah. And then we had to like sell our house and then like blah, blah, blah. And or like, mortgage. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm living this versus <laughs> I like your podcast now because it's like people who are early founders. Yeah. Uh, so we're like living the same struggle right now. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. I mean, there's so much value in listening to a, you know, the story of a business that's well-established and they've been at it for 30 odd years and, you know, they've grown to a point right now where, you know, people have a really grand exit or, you know, they hold yeah. on to it because they purely love the business, but there's mm-hmm. so much to be learned. And there's so much to be said about, uh, you know, the early days of a business, you know, whether somebody has been operating for six months or I just had Damien Laura, on um from f and good snacks and he's just launching right now but the the pre-launch strategy i think was really cool to for everybody to listen to so there's value in everybody's story and mm-hmm. you know that's why i love getting out there and having these 45 to an hour long chats so thank you very mm-hmm. much for your time today and you know if anybody wanted to reach out and get in touch and learn more about you and what you're doing what's the best way yeah so follow us on instagram that's where we're most active yep. um you can buy our products directly online and we ship them out to you. If you wanted to use a code for 15% off, Choco15 is uh, the code you can use. So we'll make sure you get that for the show notes. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, I'll definitely put it down there for everyone. And yeah, and have a, just see where we are. Our social media basically will tell you where we're headed this summer. So if you see our booth out somewhere, come by, say hi. And we love to ch- chat chocolate. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today. I love your story and uh, good luck with the future. Thank you so much. Cheers, it was great to be on the show. <laughs> thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there. We'll see you next week.